Island Church in Galveston, Texas welcomes you to our podcast. We trust that you will be encouraged by today's message. I um, don't want to mess anything up here. (laughs) It's been such a good week. It has been so powerful. And I've been here so many times now, I uh, I don't even feel like a guest. I feel like it's home. Now, my wife, she does feel like a guest. They still treat her good here. They're, they're really good to her. But uh, no, it's just it, it's just a great church. You're so covered here with prayer and the word, and, and uh, I never feel like I have to supplement or do anything because you get so much. It just takes all the pressure off a guest speaker. Uh, you just get such a good diet of the word and the spirit here. Uh, just unrivaled, and the, and the zeal, I just love Pastor Rusty's zeal, and it t- seems to me like he's getting worse, Not, I mean, in a, in a good way, but boy, we need that in these times, praise God, it's so good to, to, to find people that have a kindred spirit, and we really do have a kindred spirit, I've preached here for many years uh, when he was out of town, and, and uh there's just been a connection in the spirit and it's a good thing because we don't have anything in common in the natural i've never ridden a bull never thought about riding a bull i'm not sure why anybody would want to look at a bull who was the first cowboy that said huh there's a bull with horns 1500 fierce pounds wonder how long i could ride that thing Never even entered my mind when I see a bull. Never been deer hunting. Not against it, it just never appealed to me. You get up at four o'clock in the morning. Can I ask you a question? Are the deer not there all day? Are they, do they, do they like, why you, you gotta get up at four in the dark? I heard these stories in school, and it's like, why would I do that? And you go out and sit in a tree, and it's freezing for six hours. Say, did you get anything? Nope. Did you see one? Nope. Did you hear a deer? I don't think so, but I saw a track. You know, I have two problems with deer hunting. First is you go out there, and you don't get a thing. The second is you go out there and you get one. <laughs> then what do you do? You gotta cut the thing up with a knife. A mammal. Anyway, that's just me. I got a word last night. And uh, I'm gonna have to get the recording because I'm not sure the depth of this. So it went something like, um, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, look at Greg. Was that how that went? <laughs> how, can somebody get the transcript? <laughs> I've got, I was minding my own business. I was not causing any trouble. I do have a message for you. But like I said, these camp meetings, there's just such a good flow. It's so good. And man, I just miss Eddie. I wish he was here. We're, our prayers are with him and, and Amanda. They're just such good people. And thank God for the friends we have and the friends that are here. And, and uh, uh, Joe Morris will be here tonight talking about high maintenance people that just float in and float out. I've been here. This is my fourth service. Joe's, but he's not been here yet. So that's four to one. Just remember that. 
But before we get into the message, I don't ask many favors, but could, could you do this for me? I think really every message that you preach in these days is an end-time message, right? So when Joe gets here, you tell him that I preach the best end-time <laughs> message you have ever heard, that I brought it together in a way that just made it so clear, and, 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 it, and it's just amazing how good it was. So if you would just do that for me, you're not, you're not lying. Every message is an end-time message. All right, I appreciate that. He's the nicest guy you'll ever meet, really, Joe is, and so I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I want to talk about faith this morning, and, and um, we'll, we'll, we're going to pray. And then my friend Roland's right here on the front row. Because, um, because Rusty's been gone so much when I come and visit, Roland and I have become really great friends. And he just allows you to see what it could be like if you had someone like a Barnabas that would... I mean, he is just the most faithful uh, associate. I, I, I admire his commitment. I mean, it's harder, really. I think it's harder to do what he does than to do what I do as far as just going in and just staying there and, and supporting. And, man, you're just laying up treasure in heaven. And he's been very encouraging to me, so I appreciate that. Uh, I want to talk about faith, but before we do, let's pray. Father, thank you for the word. Speak to us today. Lead us and guide us into your truth. I pray that this message will fit into the flow and, uh, um, and help the people, maybe answer questions and inspire us, meet needs, plant seeds that will bear fruit in our lives. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you take the things of Christ and reveal them to us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. amen. And that, yeah, that service last night, I mean, that takes you back. That's like the good old days, wasn't it? It just flowed, man. I just love services like that. Wow, what a time. Uh, the importance of faith is what I want to talk about. Faith may not be important to people necessarily, but it is important to God. <laughs> and uh, and so it, it, what's important to God should be important to us. And if you're going to make it very far in the kingdom, you've got to walk by faith. We've got to get good at faith. We need to see the importance of faith. So I'm going to give you three points this morning. And, and really, I'm just, just going to hit the high spots. It's fun to do that. But three points that illustrate the importance of faith. And point number one is this. Faith pleases God. That should be all we need to know to pursue the life of faith and uh, to walk by faith is that it pleases God. And in the natural, we're not, we, we really don't uh, put that high value on faith. In fact, we want to trust but verify, and you better live that way because somebody will take advantage of you if you don't. So we're used to having collateral and proof and uh, making decisions based on evidence but when it comes to the kingdom of God, we've got to leave that realm behind and, and, and learn how to walk by faith because God himself is invisible. You can't feel him. You can't hear him. You can't touch him. So to, to, to interact with God is a faith act in and of itself. And Christ, most Christians operate in more faith than they realize but I think we could get better. How many of you know we could get better? So uh, Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. 
For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So the fact is that just coming to God pleases him. When you go into an empty room and walk in and begin to talk to God as if he hears you, that is an act of faith and that pleases God. I mean, one of the best things you're going to hear all day is that faith pleases God because you can do faith. You can do it. It's not beyond you. It's not too difficult. It's something we can all do. And it pleases God. And I want to please God. I love pleasing God. I want God to be pleased. And I'm glad he chose something that's so attainable that would please him. Now, my dad was a lawyer. And um, when I was a kid, I, I always remember this phrase. There were times when, uh, and he was a good man, good Christian man, a good dad. And, uh, and there were times when I would disagree with him. You know, <laughs> He didn't like that too much. He, he would say, and he said it a few times, and then I got the message. He said, don't you dispute my word. I thought, well, excuse me for having my own opinion. And I didn't realize why that was so irritating to him for an eight-year-old, <laughs> a nine-year-old boy to say, nuh-uh. He did not like it. And the reason he didn't is because he was not a liar. He'd been around. He knew things I didn't know. And whenever he broke something down and presented it to me, the least I can do is accept it. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to figure it out. I don't have to prove it or disprove it. But I could believe it. And when I didn't believe it, it irritated him. I didn't see it as an insult, you know, to his intelligence or, or a question of his honesty. But that's what it was. So in, this, and, and the, in the same way, God appreciates it when we believe his word, especially when it doesn't look like it's true. It means something to God. It warms his heart. Did you know that the things you're going to talk about throughout eternity are going to be the times when you believed God's word and went through these trials and challenges in life and you refused to doubt, but you chose to believe? You know, we can all do that. In our own world, there are opportunities every day to choose to believe God. And, and when we don't believe God, what are we saying? What, what, you know, we don't ever look at it from his perspective, but when God says something and his word is what he said, and we don't believe it, what, what are you saying? Are you saying that God didn't mean it or that God lied? or that God changed his mind, or what are you saying when you don't believe God? It's so much better just to, like the scripture says, let God be true and every man a liar. Amen. He wants us as his children to say, I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what it feels like. I don't care what they say. I don't care what you say. God said it. He's my father, and I'm going to believe what he said. You don't have to make things happen. You don't have to cause it to come to pass. You just have to believe it. Man, when we don't see the importance of that, we miss out on some of the greatest blessings of life because the greatest things that you'll ever receive as a human being are going to be received by faith. Not, 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 you're not going to work for them. You're not going to earn them. You can earn a lot in this world. 
but, but the greatest things, the most valuable blessings and, and possessions you're ever going to receive are going to be received by faith. And in God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, you don't get what you deserve. Thank God. You get what you believe for. In God's kingdom, you don't get what you earn. You get what you believe for. And what has God done to cause us to doubt him? Let me give you a few scriptures along this line. I was just looking at these this morning. Go to Mark chapter uh, 16. Let's see. Let's go to Mark 16 and verse 9. We'll start there. Are y'all ready for just a, a Bible lesson? I just love to teach the Bible. This is fun to me. And there won't be any quiz, won't be any test. It's just the test of life. So uh, Mark 16, verse 9. When he arose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. And when they heard he was alive and had been seen by her, they did not believe. After that, he appeared to in another form to two of them as they walked in, and went into the country. They went and told it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Now, I looked it up. And Jesus told the disciples three different times before this that he was going to die and be raised from the dead. He told them personally three times, I'm going to be delivered into the hands of ungodly men and I'll, be di I'll die and I'll raise again. I'll be raised up the third day. Three times and then here, twice they were told by other people, he's alive and they did not believe. Later, verse 14, later he appeared to the 11 as they sat at the table and he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart. And, and the point I want to make is this. There's a difference between a failure to believe and a refusal to believe. Had they failed to believe, he would have said, just get back up, guys. I know you did your best. Do better next time. I'm with you. I'm there. But that's not how he treated this. He rebuked them. You shouldn't have done it. Why? Because they could have. They just chose not to. And that's why faith's so important. Because no one can believe for you. No one can make you believe. Not even God. But if you refuse to believe then there's nothing that can be done about it. So he was very pleased with faith, and he was very disappointed with unbelief. If you were in a baseball game, and you went to the plate, and you faced a really tough pitcher, and you got ball one, strike one, foul ball, strike two, ball three, strike out, you failed to get a hit. Just get up, you know, do better next time. You don't hit a, you know, you don't hit a thousand out of a thousand or whatever. But the difference is if you refuse to go to the plate, yeah. 
That's refusal. You don't get in trouble if you strike out. You get in trouble if you refuse to go do your duty and go swing the bat. Everyone can swing the bat. But when you don't even swing the bat, when you allow, and this is going to get to our next point, but when you allow circumstances and situations, when the level, the volume of unbelief gets to a certain place or the economy gets to a certain place or politics gets to a certain place and we refuse to go to the plate we are refusing to believe God. And there's nothing more valuable in the church right now than faith in God. If you're going to be happy and successful in the days to come, you're going to have to learn to walk by faith. So faith pleases God. If, if, if your parents wrote you a letter and said, hey, we're going to be gone. Uh, sorry, we couldn't be there, but we're going to be gone all week. Just take your Liberty and food's in the refrigerator. The keys are on the counter. Use the car. We'll be back on Saturday. Uh, if you read that and you didn't believe it, what are you saying? What if someone came and said, you know, you're, I mean, where are your parents? Well, they're gone. Oh, you know they're never coming back, right? I know. Yeah, I know. I'll have to sell the house. We'll have to sell the car. I mean, it's bad. It's terrible. But when you've got it in print... And you refuse to believe it, that's on you. Most of us know too much to doubt now. We've got too much information. We've been taught too much. We've read the love letters. We know God's will. We know what God has said, and we can't refuse to believe God. Faith pleases God. What has God done to cause us to doubt him? I was reminded of this, and then we'll move on, but Psalm 77 Verses 7 through 10 says, Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Has his mercy ceased forever? Has his promise failed forevermore? Great question. Has God ever failed to keep a promise? Is, has he ever lied? Has he ever done anything wrong? Why should we have the, an inkling of unbelief left after all God's done for us and to us? And on the, on the other hand, when the centurion said, you don't need to come to my house, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus' eyes lit up and Jesus pointed and said, I haven't found such great faith in all of Israel. I want to be that guy. The woman with the issue of blood came and touched him for she said, if I touch his clothes, I'll be whole. He was so impressed. He stopped the procession and said, who touched me where? I know faith has touched me. He didn't say those words, but that's what he was looking for. He was always looking for faith, and he always recognized faith. You know, we don't think in these terms, but we should. I don't ever see where Jesus said, "Why? Well, I like your hair today. <laughs> you know, you've been working out. You look great. You lost weight. He never appraised people by their physical or outward appearance like we do. He was always saying, little faith, no faith, great faith, such great faith. There's faith. Where's faith? In fact, it was, that, it was like Jesus would, would, would go out without a plan and, and, and preach. And said he went about preaching, teaching, healing. He would, he would preach and teach until somebody believed something. I mean, there's so many examples of this. Jairus came out of nowhere and said, can, can you come to my house? My daughter's almost dead. Now, most messiahs would have said, do you know how busy I am? Did you get an appointment? I mean, I have got so much to do in three and a half years. You have no idea what this is like. Devils are trying to kill me. The, pol the politicians hate me. I mean, get in line, man. 
No. He said, oh, we're going to your house. Why? He said, if you lay your hands on her, she'll live. And he goes, I like that kind of faith. I'm going to go to your house today. Do you know God's still like that? He likes faith. It pleases him. And it's something we can easily do. We ought to be the most positive, happy, believing people in the world. Yeah, but do you know what all's going on? Nothing's changed as far as God is concerned. The word's still true. Amen. So number one, faith pleases God. That, that makes faith important. Number two, faith is a way of life. And instead of thinking of it as a formula, which there are definite steps to faith and all of that, but instead of thinking of it that way, let's think of it as a lifestyle. It's an overcoming lifestyle. In fact, 1 John 5, 4 says, whatever's born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, what? Even our faith. So faith and victory are connected. These are the days when men's hearts will fail them for fear of what's coming on the earth. That We're living in those days. The, the only way to overcome fear is faith. It's the opposite. We must learn to walk by faith like never before. Do you want to be happy? Do you want to get your life back? Do you want to do something about all of the craziness that's going on in the world today? Walk by faith. Walk by, believe God. Believe his promises. Find a promise to stand on and to quote and, and use these promises to, to, to reject the messages that we're inundated with every day, all day. You know, one of the things the enemy's trying to do is intimidate us and, and get us to give up, to back down and back off. Uh, some of this stuff's not even true. You know, I, I, had, I got shoulder surgery a, a couple of years ago, and it was a real intense time. Just, just we, were, we were just going through a lot of attacks from the outside, and, and so I'm getting ready to get this surgery. And I've never been concerned about any kind of surgery. I'm not a fearful person. And I started to sense fear, like, like this doctor's going to mess your shoulder up. It's going to go bad. It's going to go wrong. You need to cancel this appointment right away. He's going to get in there and mess it all up. I thought, well, that's terrible. That's awful. I can't imagine having a messed up shoulder. For, I mean, beyond repair, he's going to mess it up. Beyond repair. And, 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 I, and I, you know, I, I'm thinking about this. Should I cancel? Should I not? And then it got worse. It got more intense. He said, and you're going to be put to sleep, and you're not going to wake up. You're going to die on the operating table. The anesthesia is going to mess you up, and you're never going to wake up again. And I thought, well, what difference does it make if he messes up my shoulder if I'm not going to wake up? <laughs> I mean, they, they can't both happen. You know what I mean? It's like I'm supposed to worry about both? And I thought, you know, aha, that's got to be the devil. <laughs> I mean, he'll go as far as you let him go. He wants you to just kill yourself. He wants you to just go out and blow your brains out. He'll try to get, and you go, nope, I'm not going to do that. He said, will we settle for some depression? How about a little melancholy? I mean, you're a pretty terrible person, you know, and you go, yeah, well, that is true. I mean, he just never stops. The only way to counteract that, by the way, I had the surgery and I woke up. 
And my shoulder's good, everything's good. And, and he does the same thing with the end of the world scenario. You know, it's either going to blow up or it's going to freeze or burn up. It can't do all three. You know what I'm saying? It, I mean, really? A meteorite's going to hit the planet. And by the way, we're going to burn up with global warming. Really? Oh, oh. Well, which one? Whichever one scares you the most. That's, that's the thing. Are you more afraid of freezing to death or burning to death? No, I don't like the fire. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> I was talking to someone the other day, and they were telling me with great intensity, a Christian, that these food processing plants are being burned. Have you heard that? They're burning just randomly, and there's been a dozen of them, and on and on and on, and I'm, and I said, okay. I'm not going to dispute that, but what are you saying? How's that going to change your life? Are you telling me that you're going to starve to death because the food processing plants are burning down? Is that what you're telling me? That God is going to watch you starve to death, Christian, because the food, pro I mean, the food processing plants burn. There's just no way to get food on your table. It's over. It's over. You see what I, we get so wrapped up in, in the, in the facts and, and in the reports that we forget to believe God. I mean, you really think you're going to starve to death? You don't think God can bring manna from heaven and water out of a rock? Do you think he forgot how to do that? Do you think God could do a miracle for you? Ravens could bring bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening? You think, well, well I've never seen that. No, because H-E-B is full of food. God's not in the entertainment business. Now for my next act, there's a cheeseburger. Well, I appreciate that, Lord. Now I don't have to go to Burger King. That's so nice. God doesn't do that. But if you get backed into a corner, no, people, we don't want to be in a position to believe God's the truth of the matter. The greatest miracles that ever happened, the people... I spend my whole life trying to stay out of these tragic situations. You know what I mean? Like, like Moses, when you lead three million people out of Egypt, have an escape route that doesn't lead to the ocean. You know what I'm saying? Why would you lead three million people up to the edge of the sea and then go, <gasps> like, you didn't see this coming? I mean, how do you get, there's Pharaoh and his army and there's the Red Sea. How do you get there? I pray, I think, I plan to avoid situations like that. But they're coming on us fast and furious. There's no way to stop them all. You can't outthink the world. Things are happening against our better judgment, and we're going to be found in places like this more and more. And God showed off. We're still talking about what God did in that situation. No one wants to be with Pharaoh on one side and the Red Sea on the other. But when you are, God is able to deliver. 
We've got to walk by faith and not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment. I'm, I'm glad he called what we're dealing with here a light affliction. Is working for us a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. Man, can I just tell you there's a bigger picture I'm going to do the end time thing now so you can tell Joe. Okay? <laughs> he says in verse 18, while we do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We've got to learn how to do this. Look not at things which are seen. Man, I do not watch the news. I used to watch the news a lot, and I hardly ever watch it now. Like someone said, if something major happens, you'll find out about it. <laughs> You're going to find out. We do not look at things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, but the, but the things, uh, for the things which are seen are temporary. The things which are not seen are eternal. And that's what got Peter in trouble when he was walking on the water. First of all, he got in that situation that we try to avoid. The rest of them were smart enough to stay in the boat. You know? It's like... I know I can walk on water like Jesus, but I'm not going to do that today. I mean, there's no need. This boat is just fine the way it is. But Peter, he was zealous, and he said, if it's you, come. What's Jesus supposed to say? <laughs> if it had been my mother, she would have said, now it is me, son, but just stay right there. You're not ready for this. Just play it safe. But Jesus had come. So he's walking on the water, and, the, and it says when he saw that the wind was boisterous. Have you seen any boisterous wind lately? And somehow Peter figured it out that when it's at certain amount of wind is blowing, you can't walk on water. When the wind velocity is at a certain strength, walking on water is impossible for anybody but Jesus. He figured that out. And he quit believing. The wind's blowing. That's fine. You know, turn it up. You can't walk on water without the power of God anyway. We, we aren't going to make it to the other side without faith in God. Isn't that interesting when they got in that ship and they started going over and sailed into a storm and then they cried out, Lord, save us. And he rebuked the wind and he said, he said, where's your commitment? Is that what he said? You guys just aren't committed enough. That's not what he said. He didn't say, where's your love? You've been bickering all day. No wonder you're about to drown. You need to forgive one. And just get in a circle here. John, you're the love apostle. Lead a little. Let's hug it out right here. Right now. Okay, I forgive you, Peter. I forgive you. Love is important, but that's not what they needed on that day. They needed faith. He said, where's your faith? If you're going to get to the other side, I know it took faith to get here, but it's going to take faith to get to the other side. Don't forget how to believe God. One of the best things we can do in these days is laugh. Just be happy. With an attitude. Am I right? I, I can't help it that I live in 2022. 
I'm, I'm a little jealous at times. For, you know, think about those men that we love that went through the charismatic renewal. They lived in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s. Oh, to be able to go back to those days when... You know what I mean? But here we are. I'm not going to quit living life. It's not my fault. I got one chance at this. I'm going to make it the, the best. And by faith, you can live. By faith, you can love. By faith, you can have joy. By faith, you don't have to look at the mountains surrounding you. By faith, you can get to the other side. You can calm the storm. You can kill the giant. All of those things were done by faith in the word of God. And it's our turn. Amen. It's time for us to believe God. And the great news is you can do this. You can do it. Don't let things get you down, especially things you can't change. So people want to know what's going on. What's God doing? I hear this all the time. What's God doing? What's God saying? What's going on? This is my end times message. The same thing that started in the Garden of Eden. God's building a family. And every day, right under their noses, his family's getting bigger. Heaven's getting populated. God's will being done. And in the process, there's the Babylonians and the Greeks and the Romans and the Chinese and the Russians and the Americans and the Canadians. Well, they don't count. But the rest of them... <laughs> But you know what I'm saying? These nations rise and fall, and all the while there's a people of God, and the family of God is growing, and the, and the, and the will of God is being accomplished, and we're on his, his side. And I said this one time on TV. I said, God's not on your side. No, we're on his side. This isn't our thing. It's his thing. We didn't start this. He did. And I'm glad I found God and got on his side. But this is his fight. This is his kingdom. This was his plan. And I just get to participate. Aren't you glad? And the most important ingredient to bring along is faith. Faith in God. Don't doubt God. Believe God. Look for ways and, and, and times to believe God. You know, I preached this the other day and I just can't get it off my mind, but I'll just rehearse this. It's in 1 Kings 18 when, when Elijah challenged the prophets of Baal. He said, you have a God, I have a God. You build an altar, I'll build an altar. And the God that answers by fire, let him be God. And so he said, you go first. You know, the devil always goes first. He chose Adam, tried to ruin the world. And Jesus said, I'll take my man, I'll fix it. I'll completely change it. And so, and so the prophets of Baal built their altar and they did their incantations and cut themselves and whined and cried because they don't have answers. The world's methods don't work. Oh, they like to think they're working, but they're not working. We're watching them fail. So then it's Elijah's turn. He built it back and he dug a trench around the altar. And, and uh, it held gallons and gallons of, of water. And then he told them to pour, pour barrels of water on the altar. So they poured it on. He said, do it again. <laughs> Don't you like God? He's so dramatic. Yeah. Now, wouldn't it be foolish to go, that's too much water. <laughs> 
I mean, it really, if we're going to expect this to work, it needs to be dry. I mean, at least fairly dry. And he says, bring some more water. And they poured more water. And he said, bring some more until it filled the trench. Like, like that matters. When you serve the God that answers by fire, does it matter how much water they pour? So I, I, and, I, and I related this to the way I watch current events now. It's gotten ridiculous. I don't know which institution is going to fail us next or what stupid decision is going to be made. It's like anybody knows that's not going to work. And, and, and I, now it's like, just go ahead, pour another barrel on. Just pour, pour it on. Go ahead, pour it on. Say, well, our president can't even complete a sentence. Pour it on. Pour it on. They just hired 87,000 IRS agents to go after us. Pour another barrel on. Go ahead. I'm beyond feeling now. I'm immune to it. My God answers by fire. They're spending your retirement. Pour it on. There's not going to be any Social Security when you get 65. Pour it on. Healthcare is going to be destroyed. It's going to be worse than the post office and the Department of Motor Vehicles. Pour it on. Pour it on. Are you with me? I'm not going to ride this roller coaster anymore. The world's not been getting any better lately that I can tell. So what am I going to do? Just end, end, end happiness and mourn? Now, I admit we are dealing with, we, we are in a unique situation. No doubt about it. This is the greatest nation that has ever existed. You agree with that? I love this country. I'm an American Thank God we were born here. It was birthed by God on biblical values by, by men and, and women of God. And, and there's never been a nation like this. It's our job now as Christians to watch this thing decline. Yeah. Say, well, which way is it going to go? I don't know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a prophet. I don't know. But, 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 but right now we're watching it decline, and it's painful to watch. But I can't let that ruin the days I have left, I'm not going to allow that to happen because God's still on the throne. <clears throat> Jesus is still Lord. The Bible's still true, and I'm going to heaven. So whether America survives or changes or fails, I don't know, but, but I do know this. In 100 years, think about this. In 100 years, every person that's alive on earth right now is going to be in eternity. Every single person. Well, maybe there may be one lived to 101. Maybe. <laughs> Most every person that's alive today is going to be in eternity in 100 years, whether no matter what happens in the political spectrum. It doesn't, whatever happens, we're all going to be in eternity. We need to prepare people for that. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to believe God. Amen. Never been a better time to believe God and get happy. So the number two, faith is a way of life. Live it. Don't leave it on the shore. <laughs> when they got in that boat to go across to the other side and the storm came, they were so shocked. I mean, everything shocked them. But Jesus calmed the storm. But they were so shocked that Jesus expected them to bring their faith. 
they thought that once they left their families and left home and left their careers and got in the boat, they'd done their job. They didn't know that faith just begins because it takes faith to submit, but it takes faith to resist if you're going to get to the other side. You need to bring your faith. Amen. Amen. All right, then number three, faith is the key to answered prayer. And I have a whole new series coming out about this and there's no way to teach it all, but it's fun to, to, to talk about this because it's so important. Faith is the key to answered prayer. And I just want to make a few comments about this and then, uh, and then we'll close. But James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given. But now here's where he talks about prayer and how prayer works. He says, But let him ask in faith. If you're going to pray, don't waste your time. Unless you're going to pray in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Again, there's a difference between a failure and a refusal. You will never be, uh, you know, get in trouble for a failure. There's forgiveness. There's mercy. There's fall down seven times and get back up again. But when it's a refusal, it causes real problems. And that's what he's talking about here. He says, let him ask in faith with no doubting. So you must be able to do this. You must be able to choose faith and reject doubt. You must be able to, or he wouldn't have said it this way. He would have said, only a few can do this. But that's not what he said. He said, of any man, any, any of you, let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he'll receive anything from the Lord. The fact is, faith, uh, prayer just doesn't work without faith. And, 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 the, and most Christians are ready to pray. They're more ready to pray than they are ready to believe. But if we, and that's why when we do healing meetings, I'm, I wait till for one or two or three days before I pray for people because they're ready for prayer, but they're not ready to believe. And you need to be ready to believe before you pray. And the reason they've had hands laid on them a hundred times and nothing happened is they were ready to pray, but they weren't ready to believe. Let not that man suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord. So we, we, it's important to believe when you pray. It'd be better to spend a little time up front and prepare yourself instead of trying to word the prayer just right. Let's prepare ourselves to believe that we, that we have our answer when we pray. Are you with me? So, so um, let's go to Mark eleven twenty four because he tells us exactly how to do this. It says, therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. I just love that. I spent a year studying faith, restudying faith, representing faith a couple years ago, and I got stuck on this phrase. In fact, I'm still stuck on it. It's so powerful. When you pray, believe you receive. When you pray, believe you receive. When you pray, what comes first? It, it, just, it just goes over and over like a loop. When you pray, believe you receive. When you pray, believe you receive. When you pray. So James said, if you don't believe, you're not going to receive. 
Mark is, in Mark, he's saying, Jesus is saying, when you pray, believe you receive. When you pray. And, and I thought, why is that so important? What I understand it, but why is that so important? And it helped me to look at it in the negative sense. So if you pray and don't believe you receive, what does that mean? What is that saying? Well, that's insulting. And so I was, I was thinking about this, meditating on it, praying about it, and, and I felt like the Lord asked me, you know, who have you been dealing with? Who are you used to dealing with? Because when you pray, you're, you're talking to God, right? God's not, not your buddy. He's not the average guy on the street. And I said, well, I've been dealing with, like, insurance salesmen and car salesmen, realtors. Well, that's your problem. And then, it, and then it dawned on me. You know, there are times when we have more faith in a car salesman than we do in God. If we treated the car salesman like we treat God when we pray, at times, we'd, we'd go in, pick out a car, sit down, do the paperwork, sign everything, get up and go, well, I guess I didn't get a car. Then <laughs> he'd shake your hand, say, congratulations, for what? For what? I came in here, I wasted all my time, and nothing happened. I don't have a car. I have no car. Yeah, you just bought a car. I don't see it. I don't feel it. I haven't driven it. Well, you just bought a car. You signed the paperwork. No one would do that. But when you pray and you don't believe you receive, that's what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. You spend all that time and you go, I guess nothing happened. And God's saying, what have I done to cause you to doubt me? You got more faith in it. I bought a truck a couple of years ago. I finally bought a truck. I feel so. That, it wasn't a midlife crisis. That's when I bought the Challenger. I'm over that now. So I bought a truck, and, 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 um, and I signed all the paperwork, and I, I even paid for it. I wrote the check and gave it to a guy, and I called my wife. I said, I bought a truck. She said, where is it? I said, I don't know. I said, what do you mean? Well, they, they took it off to detail it and fill it up with gas, hopefully. But I knew I had a truck. There was yeah. no doubt that I had a truck. I didn't see it. I didn't even have the keys. I signed all the paper and gave him money and shook his hand, and I didn't see that truck for two hours. I never doubted one second. Do you want to have more faith in a car salesman? Then you have an almighty God. When you pray, believe, you receive. What are you saying when you don't believe you receive? Are you saying God didn't hear me? I don't think that's the case. He always hears you when you cuss. I know this. For a fact, he does. You know he does. you ever shaded the truth he hears it oh god i'm sorry. he hears it whenever you're mean to someone he sees it but when you pray and you don't believe you received do you think he didn't hear you what are you saying you don't believe you received do you think god maybe changed his mind you think you know what i don't think so i don't like the way you prayed it i don't like the way you phrased it I, try it again. 
Nope, not going to work. We treat God worse than we treat an insurance salesman. A timeshare salesman. Ten times better for one-tenth the price. Believe you receive. When you pray, believe you receive. He heard you. He didn't change his mind. For crying out loud, he said it. He's the one that said it. You're praying his promise, right? You're not making something up. You're praying the promise that God made. He's not trying to keep it away from us. He wants to get it to us. So when you pray, <laughs> how can we do anything else? Yeah, but it's been so long. Believe you receive. Your, your job is to believe it. His job is to get, get it to you. But I'm telling you, if we don't believe we receive, when we pray, we shall not have it. James told us that. I, you know, can I tell this little story? I told this here before, but a lot of y'all stayed home when I came to speak. <laughs> had other things to do. But I, I have these speakers all over my house. These Alexa speakers. I told this story. Okay, I'll skip it. Never mind. And so, okay, you, you, were, you were gone. Yeah, you were gone. I'm going to tell Pastor Rusty. You was preaching faith somewhere else. Will we team up on the devil? He, the devil's scared to death of the, of the message of faith. And it'll liberate the body of Christ. So we got these speakers all over the house. I had too much time off in COVID. And I just kept going to Best Buy, and they kept selling me new stuff. And so I got these, and you can talk to them. It's, it's Alexa. This, I've got Alexa, Google, and Siri. And they don't all get along. I mean, they don't. If you talk to Alexa and, and say something about Siri, she'll say, I don't recognize that command. Ooh, I see. So, so they're all over the house. And I, can, I love it. I can walk into my prayer room and say, you know, play worship music, and it's, it's just on. And, and so, um, but I found out, because we bought so many of them, um, that, that, you know, you can tell it to make an announcement and it'll make an announcement in, out of all of them. If you've got it, you should try it. You say, Alexa, make an announcement. And she, what do you want to announce? And you say it and then it'll go bing and it goes through all your speakers. It's powerful. <laughs> so I'm up in my prayer room and I can't, it's, it's a media room. I can't hear anything up there. I'm, I, I like to pray and, and my wife was home and, and, uh, and so I thought, you know, I'd really like a big breakfast. She can fix a really nice breakfast. So I said, Alexa, make an announcement. And so she, did, she came on. I said, I, I, I said, Carol, I would like a nice big breakfast, bacon and eggs, biscuits, gravy, orange juice, coffee, just the way I like it, as soon as possible. Thank you. Bing. And it, I mean, it went out. And I'm thinking, this is awesome, the power of technology. So I'm praying. I think I've got about 30 minutes probably, and I pray for 30 minutes. Nothing happens. 
to any minute, I think there's going to be a knock on the door and it's a big, nice breakfast. So I prayed another 15 minutes. Nothing happened. So then I start to wonder, hmm, maybe she was asleep. Maybe she didn't have any eggs. She had to go to the store and she'll be back. That'll take another 15 minutes. Okay. And I thought, no, that's not possible because I have ring too and I know when she leaves and when she comes home. And she hadn't left. The ring is awesome. I got it at Best Buy. <laughs> they love me at Best Buy there. So, so that wasn't the case. And then I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe she's disabled. Maybe she's, how could this not happen? And then after like an hour, I'm thinking, I do not believe that I'm going to get breakfast. I don't know where the breakdown was. But I'm not getting that breakfast, I don't, I don't think. So I went looking for her, and I found her. And I said, did you hear the announcement? Oh, yeah. And her reply was something about jumping in a lake, and it was way too cold for that. Didn't want to do that that day. I didn't get my breakfast. I would have had more faith if she had ever said, maybe you could write this out for me, if she'd have said, anytime you want a big breakfast, just ask and believe you receive, and I'll do it for you. But she's never said that. But God did. God did. And when you pray, all of these reasons that she didn't bring my breakfast don't apply to God. Did he not hear you? Oh, no, he heard. Is he out of eggs? Nope, he's not out of eggs. Did he mean what he said? Yeah. Then is he going to be a man of his word? Of course. There's not one reason to doubt when you pray that God's not going to do what he said he would do. And when you pray, when you believe you receive, you will have it. People are ready to pray, but they haven't prepared their heart to believe. You've got to believe. You've got to prepare to believe when you pray. Amen. Anybody ready to believe God today? Amen. Amen. Would you stand up? Stand up. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. As I said, it's so easy to come here because you don't have to. I can just hit the high spots. and Y'all are fat, fluffy sheep, I'll tell you that. <laughs> healthy, fat. Can you not say that? Oh. Y'all are healthy, plump, happy sheep. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much. I pray that, that seeds were sown today, Father, that we're ready for life, that we're ready to take our place in the greatest move of God the world has ever seen. Thank you for bringing us this far and not giving up on us. Oh, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. You know, I, I was stretched to my limit at one time, and these last five years we've been feverishly working to do things and by faith and Oh, I just seemed like I couldn't get enough done and I was stretching and I said, Lord, don't give up on me. Don't give up on me. 
And he spoke so clearly. And he said, you'll give up on me before I ever give up on you. Hallelujah. I said, I'll never give up on you. I have nowhere else to go. Where am I going to go? But he made it clear that he's more committed to me than I am to him. Isn't that good news? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for believing in us, for waiting for us, for having mercy on us. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, our helper, to help us, help us in these days to be the glorious church, to be that glorious church. Man, let's chew on that. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're finding that path. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Hallelujah. Joshua chapter 5 this morning. I'm going to kind of conclude what I began on Monday. Everybody say the glorious church. I felt a little glorious last night. And, and, and Monday night I felt a little glory. Glory to God. Now, we've made this statement, and I believe it's, I know it's from my heart. We need to know what the glorious church is. And if we're not on the path to being the glorious church, then my sincere prayer is God show us the path. And if it ain't here, then show us where. And we'll go. We'll obey you. We'll go to the Jordan. Be baptized of John. Amen. That's what God was doing when Jesus was anointed. God wasn't moving in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he went to where he was moving. That's there in Matthew chapter 3. And in his baptism, he was anointed. The heavens opened. He was able to hear from God. The Father, the Father spoke. The Spirit led. Amen. And then, now, and this is what's really cool about that. He was able to muster resistance against the devil and demonstrate the defeat that he was going to bring against him. Amen. So, we must understand that that same pattern of us submitting ourselves to a move of God, stepping under an open heaven, correctly being able to discern uh, the voice of the Father, uh, the move of the Holy Ghost, the, the Spirit of God speaking into you. The de- I've never heard any teaching on this. And God was dealing with me about this, and I, I, I've been a little, I don't know. But did you know there are different voices? The Father has a voice, Jesus has a voice, and the Holy Ghost has a voice. And did you know you can differentiate between the three? Amen? Now, that's, that's, now that's, that's a meteor subject. You say, what do you mean by that? That's a meatier subject for people to, you know, begin to dig into the. But I, I know, I know when the Father speaks to me. I know when Jesus speaks to me. When it's Jesus, I know when it's the Holy Ghost. Amen. So you know, it's a, a an amazing time to live in which the communication from God Himself uh, to the earth, to His church, and to His children has increased. He's speaking some things. He's saying some things we need to listen to. Why we've never. We've never, now, now I think, I think Brother Hagin did a glorious church series. They wrote a few glorious church songs uh, back in the 90s. And it kind of, kind of was a little, I think Billy Brim did something on it, wasn't it? His name was Billy Brim. And, and it kind of blew up and blew out real quick. Wasn't, wasn't much of a, you know, wasn't much of a stir. Amen? 
And so uh, when this conference came around, I had, I had written on my uh, yellow notepad in my office several different, you know, you have ideas of well, we could call it this, we could call it that, we could call it this, we could call it that. But that just kept coming up, coming up, coming up, glory, glorious church. Glory. Why? We claim to hear from God. If you, why, why would he stimulate or communicate that to us now? Well, it must be his intention to raise up glorious churches. Now, for years we've said that God wants to raise up powerful Holy Ghost churches that know how to flow in the Holy Ghost and know how to take the gospel to the world. Well, that's true. That, that could be generally true of all of the churches that's ever existed since the day of Pentecost. But now, here we are at the culmination. I, we read the scripture, uh, or I, I used the scripture when I, I did that six-week uh, thing on, on, on what's God saying to us now. Out of 1 Peter, where Peter said, now the end of all things is at hand. Well, he said that 2,000 years ago. So, so by the Spirit, God obviously determined that when Jesus rose from the dead, that began the process to take us to the end of all time. That began it. And I don't have time to go through all the teaching, but if you study very closely the gospel and the different types and shadows of, of the Gospels that refer to the letters, you will see, obviously, that there's a 2,000-year period in which we live in, and we live in what Jesus described as the acceptable year of the Lord, a dispensation in which the mercy and grace of God are upon the earth in a very unique way. I think Christopher brought it out last night so beautifully. God poured his judgment out on Jesus on the cross. And God hasn't judged the homosexual community. He hadn't judged Hollywood. He hadn't judged Russia. He hadn't judged, uh, in, like he was saying last night, where all these, that's not the judgment of God. But many times, especially at the end of the age, we may confuse what's going on with the wage of sin and the judgment of God. Because the wages of sin are paying their highest dividends now. Now. The, uh, and you know the greatest sin the greatest sin that's manifesting in America and around the world is the sin of the rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, which causes men's minds to go reprobate. You say, what does reprobate mean? That means void of common sense and common understanding. That means I can look at a man and say that might be a woman, or I can look at a woman and say that might be a man, or I can look at myself and say I might be a woman when... Island Church learned years ago how to tell. You know how to tell whether you're a man or a woman? Anybody know? Take a peek. No, I don't want to take a peek. Amen. <laughs> take a peek at yourself. So, so Now y'all stop. Y'all don't need to go that direction. So when I first went into ministry, that, that, that burned in me, the, the, the local church, local church, local church, local church, local church. Amen? So there must be a, a dynamic to the local church that God is trying to stir within the local church. And to my own dismay, I have seen that a lot of churches are just kind of waiting around thinking that, well, this thing, something's got to hit sometime. Amen? Well, you could wait your whole life for that. And I believe there is an element 
of waiting on the Lord to see what the Lord will do, amen, kind of, kind of, that element of letting things happen, but how can we how can we wait and let something happen when we haven't done everything we're supposed to do to make it happen? Amen. Everything, everything we could do, obedience to God, our prayer, our, our consecration to Him, everything that that uh, living holy, living righteous, everything that we're supposed to do to make that happen, and to be the venue in which God desires to flow and move in the earth today. If we do all we can do to make it happen, then God, He's just gonna let it happen. You know, He the Lord said that said something to me during this during this conference. He said, "There's nothing missing." There's nothing, there's no uh, dimension of the Spirit or revelation of the Word or, 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 uh, or it, there's nothing missing that we, we haven't received yet. You understand that? As we watch revelation grow, I mean, you go back and take a, take a point in time such as, such as 1907, the great outpouring of Azusa Street. Did you know they had very, 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 very little knowledge of what was actually happening? The same way the apostles and the disciples in the upper room, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they really didn't have, it took the apostle Paul years later to, take, to, to define that and to write that out in the scripture so that people understood exactly what happened back at the day of Pentecost. Amen? So here we are at the end of time. God's coming back for a glorious church. We wrote that, read that in the scriptures. So that's what we're doing is we're looking into the word of God and saying, okay, God, if that's true, we know it's true because God is truth. He doesn't just choose to tell the truth. He doesn't just say, well, you know, I could, I could lie or I could tell the truth, so I'm, gonna, I'm God, so I'm going to tell the truth. No, he is truth. That means when he opens his mouth and words come out of his mouth, no matter what they are, that's the truth. No matter what the circumstance in the natural may be, when God speaks his word in the spirit, that's the truth. And see, people have tried to define truth for years. What is truth and why do people search for Truth is so simple. Truth is a word and a deed that agree. God said, I'm going to save the human race. He did it. That's truth. Amen? I mean, if I, if I told, I use this illustration many times, teach it on different subjects. But if I was going to tell Danny, Danny, I, I'm going to give you 100 bucks. Danny said, oh, cool, you know. Pastor Rusty going to give me 100 bucks. Amen? Well, then we've known each other for years. I've given him offerings, blessed him. He had no reason to doubt what I said. Amen? So he kind of figures, well, he's telling me the truth. He said something that he will follow through on and act upon. Now, think about this. A few weeks go by. You know, he doesn't hear from me. He doesn't get a $100 bill in the mail or in some card, you know. Well, maybe he forgot, you know. Year comes by, he comes back to, to fall harvest. And during fall harvest, hey, Danny, I didn't forget. I'm going to give you $100. Oh, thank you, Brother Russ. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Another year just goes by, I don't give him $100. So that, that scenario plays itself out over about a three or four-year period till eventually Danny is going to think this in his mind. Now, he's telling me he's going to give me $100, but he ain't, he ain't give me $100 with that. I don't think he's telling me the truth. So what does that do? It affects our relationship. Did you know if God did not tell the truth, it would affect our, our relationship? He told the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So when God speaks, he's telling the truth. Now, we've said this in teaching on faith, and I'm not teaching on faith today. Your life is factual. You can live in the neighborhood of the facts all your life. The fact is, 
You may have a disease. The fact is you don't have enough money. But the truth is what God said about it. The truth is, by his stripes you're here. The truth is, my God shall supply all of my needs. Now, I chose a, a, a message this morning. I, I've preached this message all over the world. But I think it really relates to the glorious church. Because one of the things that has just devastated the church since what I would call the end of the, of the kind of the charismatic flow that went on is apathy and complacency. Apathy and complacency. People just shutting down. So I, you say, ah, ah, how can that be? The phenomenon of the user-friendly, seeker-friendly church sucked all the zeal out of Christianity. Put no demand on people. Wouldn't talk about offerings, wouldn't talk about the blood, wouldn't talk about the new birth, wouldn't talk about none of that stuff because the truth of the Word of God puts a demand upon you. That means you have to make a decision. The truth is designed to bring you to a point or to a place of a choice. Amen. So here in this, this story in, in Joshua chapter 5, the nation of Israel had been in the wilderness for 40 years. And all they learned how to do was die. That's what you'll do if you live in the wilderness. And I've heard all kinds of messages on wilderness experiences, and I want nothing to do with them. Amen? Let me, I'll give you a little preview of coming attractions, an hors d'oeuvre, as Alan says. The problem with the wilderness is it's not fertile. And you can't plant seed in the wilderness. You think about that. Out in that desert, they had to be sustained by the manna and by the, by the rock where the water flew, which was Christ. Amen? But now that generation had died off, and another generation had risen up. And now Moses had died, and Joshua's now in charge. Joshua, a different type of a redeemer, a different type than Moses. Moses brought them out, but Joshua is now going to bring them in. Two different types of Christ. That's all wrapped up and completed in him who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, brought us out, but he's also translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, brought us in. Amen. So now it's time to go in. Everybody say, go in. Now, I believe this also very strongly that it is now time for the church to go into its promised land. And its promised land is not heaven. Heaven is heaven. Our promised land is all the benefits of our redemptive package that God has give, given to us in Christ, beginning with the new birth, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, going on into healing, into all the, all the aspects of redemption, understanding your righteousness, joy, all of those things, and then the things that flow into your life through faith in God because you're living a lifestyle of faith. So God is preparing in this, this, this changed church here in the wilderness this wilderness church that had this wilderness pastor and this wilderness pastor was mighty anointed. He did miracles in Egypt. Amen. He, he, uh, he, uh, he uh, 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 waved his rod and the Red Sea parted. God sent manna under his ministry. God, man, I mean, he had, this guy had the goods, man. He could do it. Pharaoh shaking in his boots. The whole army of Pharaoh destroyed in the Red Sea. So here they are. They're by the Jordan River, and it's time to get moving. Everybody say, it's time 
to get moving. It's time to get moving. So let's pick it up. Chapter 5, verse 1. We'll go through. It won't take us but a few minutes to go through this. This is good stuff. It says, now, it said, it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side, Joshua chapter 5, verse 1. And it came to pass when all the kings of the Amorites, which were on the side of Jordan westward, everybody say westward, and all the kings, all the kings of the Canaanites, which were by the sea, heard. Everybody say heard. Now, they hadn't experienced it. They just heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan from before the children of Israel until we were passed over, that their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. Now, up until this point, this has not happened in those nations. Up until this point, Israel was a nation that wandered in the desert, feeding off the mercy of God. Living from miracle to miracle. Now, let me just say that. that, that, that that's an awesome message that, that, that Greg preached. We are called to live by faith. We are called to live by faith. We're not called to live from one miracle to the next miracle to the next miracle because miracles are used up with the need. God wants you to be blessed so that you can be a blessing. And I've heard a guy get up one time and preach, and this was, he was a good preacher, and he had a good ministry, and he never had nothing. He hardly had any money. He'd take the bus instead of an airplane. He wore old suits. It was amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, his, his, his problem was is that in his, in, his, in his ministry, he always skimped on everything. He needed a miracle. This is how he preached. I need a miracle every day for my ministry to move forward. I thought it ain't going to go nowhere. I heard a minister who had powerful miracles in his ministry get up and shake his fist at the church and say, miracles are not for you. Miracles from God in your life are the place where you choose not to believe him, and he blessed you anyway. Amen. So we're not called to live by miracles. We're called to live in seed time and harvest. So this first group that came out into the wilderness refused to go in and possess their place to sow seed for seed time and harvest. Therefore, they got stuck in the wilderness, and they died. But now this new generation is moving and the first thing that happens when they start moving, all of the enemies of Israel begin to understand we're defeated. They reverted back to the memories of when they came out of Egypt with signs and wonders and miracles, dividing of the Red Sea, the destroying of the Egyptian army. And those people are still out there and they've been out there 40 years. We don't know what they're doing. They're just wandering around. There's a cloud over them during the day. There's a fire by night, something on the ground in the morning. I don't know what in the world's going on. Seems like they always got water. But the years went by, the decades went by, nothing happened. 
There was no movement. But coming off across that Jordan meant that they were going in to a portion of land that God said to them, you need to possess that because that is yours. He didn't say, he didn't say, listen, I'm just going to hand it to you so when I get finished working over there, what I'll do, you can just move in. He said, no, what you're going to do is I'm going to give you a land that flows with milk and honey, but you're going to have to go take it. Amen? So their movement, this is good, their movement, their movement, their movement, When they started moving, their enemies began to go, oh, no, they're moving. We don't have a chance. There's nothing we can do. No wonder the devil doesn't want the church moving. No wonder he doesn't want the church having having revival and having awakened, doing conferences. Amen? You know, a lot of people, uh, when I preached uh, in the field, uh, I did conferences, did did a, a lot of revival meetings, things like that. And, and people begin to quit having them about, oh, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002, right in there, right before we started the church. People just backed away. And the reason they backed away is because if one conference is not bigger than another, then we need to stop. Literally. Well, how do you know that that conference wasn't designed for something else other than a big crowd? Amen? No, no having conferences doing outreaches, uh, going into your city, doing, doing soul winning. All of that is movement. Doing a marriage seminar, doing a financial seminar, doing a conference, doing a faith conference, doing a Holy Ghost conference. All of that is movement, 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 movement. You say, oh, well, we're believing God to move. Well, what if he's going to move on Tuesday night? <laughs> Amen. You say, what do you mean by that? What if God wants to move in your church on Tuesday night, but you've never scheduled anything? That runs through Tuesday night. Amen. See, that's that. That I've I've talked to people in field ministry, things like that. Well, no, nobody ever does this anymore. Nobody does extended meetings. Nobody does revival. We need to quit saying that. Amen. We need to start saying it's time to start moving, because if we'll start moving, the devil will start going, oh no. But he ain't going, oh no, if we ain't moving. He's just watching us wander around in the desert with a cloud and the fire. That's all he's doing. Oh, yeah, they're having a nice conference over there. How the Holy Ghost is moving. Look at the fire over the building over there. Oh, glory to God. Now there they are this morning all parked over there, little Bibles in their lap. Oh, glory to God. But there ain't no, nothing happening. Nobody's moving. Amen. So they start moving, and their enemies. Now, notice, how, notice the terminology that, the, that, the, that, the, uh, that, that Joshua used here. It says, their heart melted. Now, that's, that. nothing has happened. An arrow hadn't been shot. A spear hadn't been thrown. Nobody loaded up a catapult. Nothing has happened. Why is their heart melted? Now, let, let, me, let me help you with this. This is called reverse or negative faith. And what's amazing is there are times when your enemy has more faith in the power of God than you do. Because they know they're defeated, and they're trying to do everything to convince you you're not defeated. But when God starts rising up and God's people start moving, they get real nervous. They get so nervous, the Bible says their heart. Now, what is you start studying the heart, and if your heart melts within you, that means you have lost your courage. That means the resistance in you has been taken down to a level in which you can't muster much resistance. Amen. 
But now notice what it says here too. Their heart melted, neither was their spirit in them anymore because of the children of Israel. It did not say because of their God. It did not say because of their God. It said because of them. And they hadn't shot an arrow or drawn a sword. or did. All they did is they got in there. It was time to move. The priest went into the Jordan at flood tide. The, the, the Jordan, it, it bound up on itself. It, it rose up on itself. And they walked over on dry land. They thought, there, here it comes. Here it comes. Those miracles are happening. That's those Israelites. That's those Jewish people. I'm telling you, we ain't got a chance. See, that's exactly what God wants the devil to say about the church in these last days. That church is moving now. They're doing outreaches. They're having conferences. They're going to the world. Oh my, my. Well, they're going to try to purchase a crusade in Africa. Man, 10,000 people might get saved. What am I going to do? See, that's movement. That's movement. And it puts fear into your enemy. Now, after that, God, I like to say it like this, God works outside, but now he comes inside. Everybody say inside. Now he's working in the church. It said, and the Lord said unto Joshua, this is there in verse uh, verse 2, the Lord said unto Joshua, uh, make these sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. Now I don't want to read all through that because there's a lot in there that I just, just don't want to read. But the, 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 the circumcision had not been made in the young men the whole time they were in the wilderness. And we know the Jewish people, uh, under the law of Moses, circumcised their babies on the eighth day uh, after they're born. So these guys have all grown up without that, but, but, but Joshua knows that is a covenant act that we cannot do without when we go into the promised land. So we got to take and we have to circumcise all, the, all of the young men that have been born in the wilderness. This is all the soldiers. This is all the army. These are all the people that are going to go and fight the battles and possess the land. Amen. So that represents to us because we know that circumcision, the word circumcision means the cutting away of the flesh. So what God does, especially in times like this, you know, we've sat under the awesome teaching, the revelation of Jesus brought unto us by Pastor Christopher. We've sat under it, sat under it. It should be a sharp knife of the Spirit that, yes, you can turn it on the devil and defeat him, but you can also turn it on yourself to cut out the fleshly things of your life that keep you moving forward with what God's doing. Sometimes it's a little painful. Sometimes it's a little irritating. But if you will allow God to cut away or to circumcise the flesh, he's getting you ready to go in and possess. Because with the, circ the, 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 the natural uh, uh, process of circumcision for the Jewish man at that time, there was a rehearsal of the covenant. Amen? So preparation was being made for occupation. Well, I'll come back to that later. Go to verse, uh, let me get it here. Now, here's the reason. Middle part of verse 6, here's the reason circumcision. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord. This is why they didn't go into the promised land. Whom the Lord swear that he would not show them the land which he swear unto them, that the, fa the fathers, that he would give us a land that flowed with milk and honey, and their children, everybody say their children, 
whom he raised up in their steed, them Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they have not been circumcised in the way. And it came to pass, now notice this, it came to pass when they had done circumcising all the people that they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. So they begin movement across the Jordan and they get there and they have a momentary stop or a delay. Are you with me? And they begin to circumcise the men. And as they do that, they begin to settle down into the camp. See, there's security into the, in the camp. And as they, as they settle down in the camp, they begin to discover two things. They were in their place and they were being made whole. You have to understand why the devil fights you so hard in church. Because the church, this is a type of the church, the, the camp, amen, everybody say the camp, in which you have a place, everybody say a place, in which you're made whole. Now, see, a lot of people are like, well, I want your place. No, you don't. You want your place. Because in my place, I'm made whole, and in your place, you're made whole. And a lot of people think, well, you get to do more, be more, see there. No, no, everybody in their place, that's where God makes them whole. I mean, if all you do around the church is sweep the floors, but if that what, that's what God has called you to do, then you're in your place in which God can open the heaven, pour an anointing on you to sweep the floor. Amen. Fight to stay in your place. Fight to stay in your place. The enemy sends, sends all kinds. We've mentioned some of the craziness the enemy does. And I'm not talking about, you know, you're never going to have a, 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 a hell's angel. And I'm not talking about some spiritual being. I'm talking about somebody on a big motorcycle. You know, here comes a guy on a motorcycle with two strippers on the back. They drive up to your house. They got a bag over their shoulder full of liquor and dope. They knock on your door. And they say, here, we're here to get you out of Island Church. We're coming in to get high, get drunk, do all kind of crazy stuff. You say, you ain't coming to my house. I ain't getting drunk with you. I ain't doing all that. Get out of here. That's why the devil doesn't send the hell's angels to your front door. He comes other ways. He comes other ways. And if you're not aware of that, we were, Lee and I were talking about a situation. We were praying about it and talking about it people that we knew, not, not around here, somewhere else. And they were, they were considering making a change. And I made the statement to her, I said, I wonder if they're willing to go live under that grace. See, churches provide a grace for their people. So, you know, if you're thinking, well, I'm getting out of here. Well, well let me ask you a question. Number one, where are you going to go to live under the grace of the church? And what church are you going to go that actually has that grace? Amen? So you have to fight to stay in your place in the camp till you're whole. <laughs> now, this shows us that, that, that as this process goes on in your life, this cutting away of the flesh, there is an element of discomfort to it in which you need a place in which you can be made whole. I've been amazed how people brings people into the church and how people interact with each other and how, you know, we, we're all kind of still stuck in this high school mentality where we gravitate to people who are just like us. Amen? I, I went to, before we moved to Galveston, I went to South Houston High School, and it was a, it was a, it was a gathering of all kind of crazy groups. There were the surfers, there were the cowboys, there were the buzzheads, there were the, you know, I mean, there were all kinds of, you know. And I was, I think I was one of every one of them. 
<laughs> I just kind of floated around all of them, you know. But all of them gathered themselves together based on all light. You know, we, we, we listen to the same music. We go to the same places. We do the same thing. And what we do is we affirm one another because we're alike. We affirm one another. Then God takes us and sticks us in the body of Christ, in the church, and he puts us around people where we have to grow a nature to love them. Grow a nature to love them. And many times those are people that are just the opposite of us. Amen? Don't try to be like me. Be like him. That's who you want to be like. Don't try to emulate someone else. Be yourself. Let God, let God raise you up. Amen? So they abode in their places in the camp till they were whole. Now notice this. This is interesting. Everybody say glorious church. Find it here. It says, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach from Egypt from off you. Wherefore the name of this place is called Gilgal unto this day. Now I'm not gonna, if I took that scripture, it would take me a long time. So I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip it and go down to the next one because this is really what the direction I'm going. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal. Now notice this, and kept the Passover. On the 14th day of the month, even in the plains of Jericho. Now they're going back and restoring the celebration of the Passover. The Passover is coming out of the world. They are celebrating their salvation. One of the greatest mistakes believers make is they do not celebrate their salvation. You say, what do you mean by that? The celebration of you say, what do you mean? You live your life in celebration of what God has done for you in Christ. You are born again. You are a child of God. When you die, you are not going to an eternal place of punishment. You're going to be with God for eternity. And you have been chosen to be a part of the church, the ecclesia, in which God says of all the people that have been on the earth, he will use the church to manifest the wisdom and power of God throughout the ages of time and throughout the universe. He's not doing that with the Old Testament saints. He's not doing that with tribulation saints. He's not doing that with millennial saints. He's not doing that with anybody but the church. So you're special. You're chosen. That's why God says you're a chosen generation. You're a royal priesthood. Amen. That's why he calls you that. Glory to God. Now notice. They kept the Passover. They're celebrating coming out. Now notice, and they did eat of the old corn of the land, and on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, parched corn in the selfsame day, and the manna ceased, verse 13. <laughs> it always happens like that. You get moving. Everybody's getting their flesh cut off. Everybody's getting right with God. Boy, you found your place. You're in the camp. Glory to God. Everything's good. Amen. Oh, the men's meeting was a little tough. <laughs> Next time they call a men's meeting, I may be busy, you know. But now we're whole. We <laughs> Stay in church. We abode in the camp. Now we're whole. And now we've had a Passover celebration. And we're eating parched corn and corn from the promised land. And we get up in the morning and there ain't no manna. Ain't no manna. Where's the manna? That manna under Moses. Might be time for a vote. Business meeting and a vote. Moses had the manna. Amen. See, 
God, when he begins to move you, when you begin to progress forward, many of the things that you thought you had to have to sustain you in the past, he begins to take away from you. You say, why? Because as you grow in faith, there's a greater and greater responsibility on you to receive from God. Therefore, he expects you to grow up and mature and walk in these things and not be so needy and remain a a babe or a child in the things of the Spirit and the things of God. Amen? Listen, if God wanted to to heal us all as he heals those in a crusade, that's what he would do. But that's not what he wants to do. He wants the body of Christ, amen, to understand that healing is the children's bread, that healing is that which the church should live in and walk in and not need gifts of the Spirit, which should be used to bring in the harvest and convince the world of the reality of Jesus Christ. We've had to believe God for gifts of the Spirit in the church because the church is walking below its rights and privileges. The manna dried up somewhere, and we've been mad ever since. Well, I thought when Pastor Christopher came, I was going to get healed. Well, you think he's going to heal you? Amen? No, no. No, you ought to grow up, confess healing scriptures, stand on the Word of God. Amen? And re- believe you receive your healing. Listen, when people get beyond their own personal faith in the church, we love. that's when we minister to you. And that was the, one of the best points uh, uh, Greg made was prepare yourself. So many people come to the altar and prepare to receive. I've had to deal with fear and unbelief, all kinds of things right there in the altar. Man, you come. There was a lady at, at, at uh, Pastor Randy and Linda's church years ago. Remember she had some kind of kidney stones or something like that, and she kept saying, when Pastor Rusty gets there, he's going to pray for me, and she had, was scheduled for surgery or something. I didn't even know it. She came up on the first service the Sunday morning, and then when they went to, uh, to look uh, on uh, Monday, to, to do her surgery to take out some kidney stone or some tumor. It was gone. It was gone. Am I right? It was gone. She didn't have the surgery. But, you know, I never even knew that that was her problem. She had already prepared herself to receive. She knew Rusty can't heal me. There's nothing he can do. That's just why I'm going to place my faith. When I go up there, I'm just going to draw on that anointing, and I'll be healed. That was her faith. She got healed. So when people get beyond their own personal help like that, that's the way to do it. Be prepared when you go. I remember one time I needed healing, and the Lord spoke to me and said, now you go to your pastor. So I prepared myself. When I went to him, he laid his hands on me. I was instantly healed. Uh, Another time I was instantly healed, I was sitting in one of Brother Hagin's meetings, and he called me up. And I'd had problems with my throat, man. I'd been preaching 300 meetings a year, and I, you know, you preach in Ireland. And then you fly down to, you know, down to Nicaragua. It has an effect on your, on your physiological, you know, your throat and everything like that. And I'd fought that and fought that. He called me. I was ready to receive. I went up there. I wasn't thinking, well, you know, I hope this happens. I don't know, you know. No, man, I was, I was prepared to receive. Now, the man has stopped. You could imagine a murmur went through the crowd. You know, we got this new pastor now named Joshua. And, you know, he's a, he's a little different than Moses, uh, you know. He's a little different than Moses. And, you know, we, we were with him. We weathered the men's meeting. We've abode in our places in the camp. We're whole. Passover, man, that was awesome. We had such a good time. But man, it stopped. Now, notice this. <laughs> and that's the way people are. And the man has stopped. 
And the manna ceased on the morrow after, they'd been, after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither, now notice this, neither had the children of Israel manna anymore. But they did eat of the fruit of the land of Cana that year. Now the manna ceasing, here's something unique about manna. It doesn't reproduce. It turns into worms. And the reason God didn't give them wheat or some beautiful citrus fruit full of seeds is you can't plant in the wilderness. So they needed to, now listen to me very carefully. Don't get mad. Just, just, just stay in church. They had to qualify for seed time and harvest. Did you know the church, the way that God has designed for finances to operate in the church, and you come to a church and you tithe and you offer, did you know you've qualified yourself for seed time and harvest? You have. You have, a lot of people they try to they try to make up the well we're giving five percent and, and and then you know no 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 when you told we say I'm gonna obey what God says it's amazing how God says okay I'm gonna give you seed to plant and I'm gonna give you some soil to put it in that's what's happening to them as they're moving forward. Praise God, God begins to work outside the camp. The enemies, they're freaking out. They're moving, they're moving. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Inside the camp, the circumcision, the rejoicing over the, over, the, over the Passover, all of that. They're working in the camp. They're abiding in their place to their home. They're moving. The manna cease. That's not a sign that God was not working. That was a sign that God was working. See, a lot of people don't understand when things may cease in your life that you thought, well, that was a provision. Well, God may have something much better for you over here. You just got to make the transition from one side to another. The church is in that same position today. If we just sit over here because the manna ceased and says we can't move because the manna has ceased, we're not realizing that God's got a harvest for us coming the next year if we'll just get moving. Hallelujah. Oh, man, my time's running out. Let, one, one more thing here. Let's look at this. Is this helping anybody? Helping me. <laughs> here in verse uh, 13, I love this point. I'll close with this. It came to pass when Joshua, it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there was a man over against him which had his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He said, No. Kind of like one of Greg's messages. <laughs> he said, No. They said, No. Are you for us? Are you for against? He said, No. He said, I'm now come. He said, No. But as the captain of the host of the Lord, I am now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and said unto him, What saith, now notice this, my Lord unto his service. I believe that was pre-incarnate Christ because you don't worship angels. Amen. And the captain of the host of the Lord said unto him, said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place where thou standest is holy. Joshua did so. So, here's Joshua. He's obviously walked away from the crowd. Amen? All of the talk going on about 
we need a new pastor. Joshua's got us in a mess. We all know he must have either stolen money or run off with a piano player. Well, run off. <laughs> but this is 2022, you know, so it's one of those deals. But we know he's in sin. We know something's happened in his walk with God because the manna ceased. Because, see, the manna ceased. So he probably needs a break. He probably needs a little break. break. So he's walking over toward Jer Jericho. That's the first city. That's the walled city. And he sees a guy, and the guy's not looking back at the camp. He's looking at Jericho, and he's got a sword, and he's standing there like this. So Joshua's kind of like, I wonder who this is. So he walks up, and he says to him, hey, bud, you for me or against me? The guy goes, nope. Now, if you go study in the Hebrew, it's really cool what, what happened in the Hebrew. Joshua said, in the Hebrew it reads, are you for us or against us? And he said, I haven't come to take sides. I've come to take over. That's why he said no. I hadn't come to take sides. I've come to take over. Amen? Then he tells Joshua something. You know, it's one of those things we read in the Bible and think, well, that don't have anything to do with us because, you know, like, uh, Moses, he, he took off his shoes, uh, you know, in a burning bush, and obviously he hung around with Joshua all the time. So Joshua's kind of expecting some, you know, some kind of event in his life when he can take his shoes off too, you know. <laughs> and so the captain of the host of the Lord says, take off your shoe for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Holy ground. Now, as Pastor Christopher has said to us many times, our American mentality can no way grasp the culture and the character of the Middle East 2,000 years ago when the development of much of the culture and character was taking place. And there's a lot more significance to the feet to Middle Eastern people and people that understand the different covenants and things like that. They understand uh, what, that they're, the feet many times represent a place of exchange. You know, one of, the, one of the pictures of that we see is in the, is in the true Jewish wedding when each of the, the participants will wrap a goblet in a glass, put it on the ground, stomp on it with their, and say, well, they say mazel tov or something like that, don't they? Something like that. And that is in a marriage covenant. It's the culmination of a marriage covenant in which they're exchanging. There's an exchange that is taking place. And then you go down through the Bible, and you see all these references to feet where things are, uh, uh, well, who was it? Uh, Ruth and Boaz. He said, go, go, and go lie at his feet, uncover his feet. It's a place of exchange, see. The, 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 the tenth leper came to Jesus and fell down on his face at his feet. Amen? And even, you know, listen, I, I'm all for you know, the, 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 the foot washing of Jesus, listen, that all that, all the humility of that. But let me tell you something about the foot washing. It was not just, you know, the, the, the humility of Jesus and all, and I've heard all of that preached, and I agree with it all, but there was also something a little more spiritual going on. He was washing their feet, and when Peter said, no, 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 don't wash my feet, he said, you'll have no part. What was he telling him? There's fiction to come in exchange called redemption where I'm going to take everything wrong with humanity and give them everything right with me. And I'm fixing to enter in to the whole process of this taking place. And if you don't let me wash your feet, you're not going to have any part of that exchange. Amen? 
You're not going to have any part of that exchange. Peter said, wash my feet, wash my body. He said, your feet, are, your feet are sufficient. Your feet are sufficient. So Joshua, being a military man, probably had in his military notebook some strategy to take Jericho. But see, when you're moving with God, God doesn't want you doing things your way. He wants you doing things His way. So this encounter with this being, the captain of the host of the Lord, was preparing Joshua to exchange. I bet he was frustrated. I bet you he was. I bet he was a little kind of like, what's going on here? The manna has ceased. Yes, we're moving. But things are just not, it just doesn't seem quite right yet. Then he has that encounter. And an exchange took place. And you start chapter 6 with God basically saying, see, I've given you the city. That's faith. No, the city's still standing there, Lord, and there's a wall big enough to drive two chariots on. No, no, Joshua. See, I have given you the city. Well, there's a wall around the city, Lord. I understand that, but there's a wall around the city, and every time, every time we look up at that wall, they look like they're getting ready for war. Amen? No, you don't understand, Joshua. See, I've already given you the city. I've already given. See, God always speaks in terms in which he sees the end results. He sees the end results. And he knows that if you will walk by faith, he will be able to supply you with everything you need to get you to that end result. And so we know the history. The supernatural event that took place, even, even the archaeologists tell us it's a supernatural phenomena because the walls did not fall in or fall out. They were pushed straight down into the ground. Amen. And then the rest of the story is the history of Israel. And they go in and possess the promised land. Well, we've got a better covenant based on better promises. Amen. And I believe Literally, what God is releasing into the church is a movement and a momentum. We said this it was a couple of months ago when the Lord really gave me this. So much emphasis, oh, especially in the past, I don't know how many years, has been put on if you're not big in every area. If your church is not big, if your ministry is not big, well, really, the question is not big, it's are you effective? Because you can be big and ineffective, and you can be and you can run you can run what I would call tight and clean and be super effective. Amen. And we have to get away from the mentality of thinking, well, what's going to happen is God's going to move in such a powerful way, and there's going to be mega churches on every corner. That's not true. We don't understand the, the, the template of what the last days look like because we've never been there. We've got to go there by faith. Just like Israel crossed over into the land they've never been to before. Amen. <laughs> I, like what, I like what Brother Osteen used to say about it. He said, they got to go back to a place they'd never been. You say, well, that, that sounds abstract. No, no, because see, see, uh, Abraham came from there. Then they went into Egypt. Now they've come back to a place they've never been. Now see, God wants to bring you back to a place you've never been. That place is called heaven. That's why you got born again. But in your journey upon the earth, God wants to bless you. He wants to protect you. He wants to keep you. And he does that within the confines of the church.
And as he does that within the confines of the church, here is your place where you're planted, where you can grow, where you can put down roots. No wonder the devil doesn't want you in the church. No wonder he wants you here, and then he wants to get you uh, offended and mad and questioning all kinds of stuff, and why isn't it like this and why isn't it like that? Listen, the thing to do is just to make a decision. I ain't going to miss it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to miss it. And then to work on every area of our life and character where we can, I like what, what, what uh, uh, Pastor Osteen used to say, he says, the biggest room in our house needs to be the room for improvement. We can improve on everything. Our prayer, our love walk, all of the characters of God that are in us can come to another level. Everything that is in us can come to another level. And the glorious church can be what? It can be a church of 20 people that's effective. A church of 50 people that's effective. A church of 100 people that's effective. A church of a church of 1,000 people that's effective. A church of 10,000 that's effective. I mean, it's awesome. Once a church catches a gear and begins to become effective and not just having church. There's a difference between having church and being a church. Let me say that again. There's a difference between having church and being a church. And I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of churches that have become professional at having church. But they're not professional at being church. Because you can't be a professional at being a church. And God has really stirred me this week. I tell you, this has been an awesome conference for me. God has spoke things to me, done things to me, refreshed me, put another anointing on me. I mean, just all kinds of awesome things. And I'm telling you here at Island Church, we're good. We're, we're moving. We've already started. You know, COVID, I did the same thing. I, I, they told us two weeks for the curve. They lied. And they've lied ever since. And I, I got in front of the church and told them, I'll never shut it down again. I'll never shut the church down again. I won't do that. That's, that's, because here's the, here's the issue that I had, is they shut down the churches and shut everything down, but all the church members were seen at the Walmart. Come on, church. They didn't shut down the Walmart. They didn't shut down the strip clubs. They didn't shut down the bars. But they won't shut down the church. Did you know that? What was that, that year that that happened? 2020? 2020. 2020. 1920. That's when you graduated from high school, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm just messing with you. 2020, amen. 2020. We got it. We got it right. When it all when it when it when it all started. That Easter. We did our Easter service. We had our praise team. We did music. And then I preached my Easter service standing here looking at the camera. But I made this statement to the camera. This year is the most, how did I put it? I said, this year, the churches of the world are empty on Easter. And that is a master strategy of our adversary, the devil. To shut down the churches of the world on Easter Sunday. Do you don't think the devil fights the glorious church? He could care less about all those other churches. He don't want a church like this having service. He don't want us praying in that prayer room. 
You don't want us giving this money to these people. You don't want us. You don't want us giving money to Christopher Farcusa. He don't want. He don't. He'll do everything. He'll fight tooth and nail, and he fights us as individuals. But you're being caught up into something glorious. And once that glory begins to manifest and begins to move forward, you're going to be so glad you did everything you could do to weather the storms that came against you to get you out of the church. And there's two dynamics to this we need to understand because we're beginning to see all of the layers of society again to be, we've got, we've got the old, we've got the young, we've got every race, creed, and color, we've got all of this. But in the meantime, we must understand that there is a harvest out there that God wants to get from out there into here so he can come back for the glorious church. That's going to take something more than we've been doing in order to get to the place where God can give us what we need. That grace we talk about there in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, that grace which comes to us with the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the most powerful thing on the earth. Because I'm telling you, if we ever need to be protected as a people, it's now. Every crazy doctrine, every crazy manifestation, every crazy, you name it, it's going on, it's happening. People are doing, you know, all, all these all these crazy uh, old doctrines are being resurrected. Uh, Pastor Christopher talked about the, the Hebrew, you know, we had a we had a friend who was just an anointed man of God, just and he got off into this. You gotta, you gotta wear this prayer shawl. You gotta, you gotta have a what is it? You gotta buy and put on your door. Uh, a menorah has to be on your door and and all this kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, those guys never got that right. What makes them think we're gonna get it right? Amen. Then you got everything that they try to mess up from deliverance to prosperity to this to that. I mean, it's just crazy. You got to stay right there in the Word. You got to stay right there being led by the Spirit. And that is that that is the advantage that we have. The Spirit of God abides and empowers. I said it abides and empowers. It leads us in paths of righteousness for His namesake. And I'm telling you, church, I would have meetings and the glory of God would fall. We were sharing some of the Testimonies we saw in the in the in the churches here in America, cripples that would walk. Uh, we had a lady who was uh, born with a cerebral palsy, never walked, had three sets of metal braces, took them all off, totally healed. A man who was almost stomped to death, had all of his vertebrae broken off of his back, all of the uh, ribs broke from his spine, healed, horribly twisted. And Lee and I watched him as he hit the floor. When he hit the floor, he just straightened right up. And healed, and that was, oh, Lord, 20-something years ago, 25 years ago. And, and two years ago, we were at Pastor Randy's and Linda's, and we walked in, and he's standing there. He says, remember me? I said, I remember you. I remember you. I mean, we saw that all of the, and every time I would have a service like that, the Lord would say, it's like a father letting a son drive a hot rod. He's like, you can't drive this by yourself. But you can sit here. And I'll let you take it, you know, about a quarter mile down the road, and I'm gonna get back in the driver's seat, and you have to get back in the car. And he would let me. I remember we had this service in Ireland that was just glorious, and I was back in my hotel room, and the Lord said, "How'd you like that?" I said, "Man, man, if my ministry, if that starts happening, we're gonna be bigger than Copeland." Oh, come on, church! Nobody ever had any ambition. Amen? And the Lord said this. It's just a glimpse. It's a peak. It's a view. 
And I, I, I remembered back to that great testimony of the A.A. Allen meeting where the little baby was healed and how all the, the I remember we, we sat and, and R.W. Schambach literally told us the story. I, when, I, when I met him, Chris, I said, tell me the story of the baby. So he told it to us. He loves to tell. He can tell it good too. But what's amazing about the baby is awesome. But he said there was a stretcher section, a wheelchair section. He says like a master sergeant giving a command to troops, that wheelchair section, every person stood at attention. He said like a sergeant, a master sergeant giving a command to troops, every person in the stretcher section stood up at attention. He said every person in that building was healed. But then God spoke in a prophecy and said this is what will happen in the last days in which meetings will take place around the nation, in which every person in the place will be healed. I believe it. <laughs> I believe it. That happened back in the 40s or the 50s, excuse me. I believe it. Smith Wigglesworth pinned Lester Summerall up against the wall as a young man, 22 years old. He was having to leave England because of the war. Tears running down his face. Most powerful apostle of faith we've seen upon the planet until Brother Hagin. Weeping, he said, I'll not see the last day's move of God. But he told Lester Summerall, you'll see it. So there had to be something in that time period in which Dr. Summerall lived because he went to the war 2004. He's been gone 18 years. So we must have seen some, he must have seen something in that that indicated to him that's what's going to happen. Amen. So we've got not only the witness of the word, we have the witness of the prophetic, but we've got something more than that. The witness of the heart. The witness of the heart telling us now's the time. Now's the time. It's time to pray. It's time to live right. It's time to be holy. It's time to get up and get moving. Let your enemies get a revelation of their defeat. It's time to cut away the flesh. It's time to celebrate our salvation. It's time to abide in the camp till we're whole. It's time to get moving. Don't look around to look at what's stopping. Look where we're going. And in doing that, we're going to blink our eyes one day, and we're going to be in the glorious church, and God's going to say, there it is, it's glorious. Boom, go get them. That's what's what's going to happen. Amen? Or don't you want to be a part? I don't want to be here. All that craziness going on. Leah might get meaner. I don't know, you know. Because if I don't go, she can't go. So, you know, that's... <laughs> she got to stay here and take care of me. Hallelujah. How many love the Lord? Half y'all get that later. Lift your hands and worship God. Father, we worship you this morning. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Uh, yeah, Lord, I'll do that. Let me ask a question real quick before we, we're dismissed. Has anybody sat here in this meeting last night, night before Sunday, Monday, where are we at? Wednesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and you've just, you've not been well the whole time, this whole conference. You've not been well. The Spirit of the Lord just spoke that. Is that somebody in here? Lift your hand up. Is that you? Come here, Dan. Let's pray for you. Come on. Is that all right we do this real quick? Let's just pray for him. How many believe Jesus is the healer? Amen? Hallelujah. You ready to receive? You're ready.
What's, what's been going on? Father, in the name of Jesus, we lay hands on him in obedience to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. And in the mighty name of Jesus, we rebuke whatever it is that's bringing this irritation, this storm. That's it. I speak to this storm and I say, peace, be still. In his stomach, his digestive tract, yes, even up into his esophagus, Lord. Peace, be still. Devil, get your hands off God's property. Father, we trust your holy anointing, that powerful healing virtue flows into his body from the crown of his head to the soles of his feet. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Did you get it? Hallelujah. Lift your hands and thank God with me. Stand on your feet. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Now, Brother Joe Morris will be with us tonight. So you probably ought to get here and get you a seat. Amen. People love to hear teaching on the end times because you don't have to do nothing with it. <laughs> and since Greg's already preached the greatest message ever heard on the end times, <laughs> the first time I met Joe, I'll tell you a quick story. We'll go. First time I met Joe, I was preaching. We're preaching a camp meeting together out in California. So we met each other. And it was a camp meeting that went from, from Sunday through Sunday. And they brought in a couple of big speakers, but most of the ministry was done by he and I. And so one night he was up preaching, and the pizza guy came. We're in a church of 2,000 people. There's 2,000 people. It's packed out, you know. And I'm sitting on the front row, and before I ever saw the pizza, I smelled it. I thought, there's a pizza devil in here, you know. And a guy comes up, up, the, up the aisle with a, with, a, with, a, with a large pizza, hands it to Joe. He's up there preaching. Well, see, Joe, the day before, there's a bunch of preachers sitting at a table at lunch, so he orders a round of drinks to the table. <laughs> so they got back at him by sending a pizza up to him while he was preaching. <laughs> so I don't know if we're going to get any pizza tonight. So I got a slice, that's why I'm saying that. I don't know if we're going to get any pizza tonight. It's going to be good. God's really giving Joe Morris a revelation for the end times and I've studied a lot of ministers and I feel that Joe Morris is the most balanced among them, I really do or I wouldn't have him here and he's been in our pulpit many times but not with this anointing, not with this end times the way it's flowing in him now and I, I fully expect that, that, that revelation of the last days flowing through men like that will help prepare us for what's coming, amen because it's coming, it is it's coming, but there's something else coming that's even greater Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. The entrance of your word bringeth light and life to us. Father, thank you for what you've done for us this week. It's so, so awesome. And so, Father, we thank you for sweet fellowship today. And Father, we thank you tonight. We return and we continue moving. And our enemies are shaking in their boots. We thank you for it, Father. We love you so much. Thank you for faith you impart, love you give. We thank you for Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our healer, our soon coming King. Thank you that you've made us the ambassadors of Christ, that you've called us to be, that here at Island Church we're covered by the blood, empowered by the word, anointed by the Holy Ghost.
Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.